Welcome to the Sport Fuels Life podcast, where we're bringing you interviews with coaches and athletes at the top of their game. This is a community to support coaches, athletes, and fans who share a passion for making the world a better place through athletics. We are serving our community and providing a variety of resources to grow and win as a team in the sports we play and the life we live. We are your hosts. I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we're so excited to bring you all things Sport Fuels Life. To welcome with us today, Kate LaVale. Kate is a former collegiate lacrosse player. She is a wife and a mom of three and has an impressive life journey that has transpired into a highly successful career. Kate is a five-year survivor of pulmonary embolism, and she credits that experience to fueling her desire to live and help others live with purpose, intent, and a servant's heart. Kate currently is a lacrosse coach, best-selling author, and renowned speaker that focuses on leadership, culture, and performance building in sports and the business world. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited about the content we are about to cover, and we are honored to have you join us. Welcome to Sports Feels Live. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Great. Well, let's just dive right in. Uh, I want to talk to you a little about the transformation um, as you as a player. You know, at what point, can you, can you tell us about your journey and at what point you decided you had a, a love and a passion for lacrosse and you were going to buy in and just be relentless in this sport? Uh, you know what? I, I found sports as um, kind of late in life. I, I was um, you know, my mom was a cheerleader and my dad was a lacrosse player and a football player and played at Cornell. And so the boys played the rough and tumble sports and the girls were put into ballet. And I am not uh, ballet material. <laughs> I mean, I still remember the, um, I don't even know what they're called, the ballet instructor saying, no, no, gracefully, gracefully. And I'm like clomping across the floor with these massive quads and huge calves. And she's like, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> so um, I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing with this crazy muscular body that I had, but it wasn't until high school um, that I really figured out. And I jumped on a lacrosse field and said, oh my gosh, I love this. Actually started with soccer and I moved into lacrosse and I grew up in Maryland, so everybody played lacrosse. It was just kind of the thing to do. And for me, it was this outlet. It was something that when I was struggling at home, when I was struggling in life, I would grab my lacrosse stick. There was a middle school across the street. I had one lacrosse ball. So I know kids nowadays have you know buckets of equipment. I had one stick, it was made of wood. If it cracked, you were done. And I had one lacrosse ball and there was woods right behind the school. So I would play wall ball. And if I missed the catch, I was searching through the woods for the ball. So I got really, really good at catching because I didn't want to lose my one ball that I had. And I just, it became this kind of um, go-to for me whenever I needed that headspace. And I started running and that's how I, that's how I found sports. It was really something for my mental health, even though I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And I am a competitor. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm sitting next to you, I'm competing with you in some way. You don't know that I am, but I am. I'm absolutely like, I'm going to eat this faster than you. I'm going to stand up faster than you. I'm going to sit straighter than you. I don't know what it is, but in my head, I'm competing all the time. I can't go to the gym. Everyone on a treadmill, they're just doing their thing. And I'm like, I'm going to beat this person. <laughs> you know, that's just how I'm wired. So that's kind of how I found sports. And I was in a really, um, really 
I guess, prime area for lacrosse being in Maryland. So I was at one of the top schools and it was very competitive. And I remember getting, I got cut my freshman year and I didn't know the rules. So, because I had grown up with boys lacrosse and girls lacrosse is very different. So I went out and I bought a rule book and I read the rule book cover to cover. I knew everything, including how long your stick had to be, um, how to measure the field. I mean, I didn't care. I memorized the entire rule book and I taught myself how to play. And I, I got on the field the next year and I made the team at, at you know, one of the top schools in the country, which was, for me, I wore that jacket every single day as a symbol of pride. I knew I had earned that. Um, you know, and I started out with my dad, I'll try to catch one out of 50 and you know, just playing catch out in the street. And then I got to the point where he could throw it anywhere near me and, and I had it. And it, that was, um, it really grew my confidence. So that was kind of my journey, journey through sports. But my real journey was, you know, I didn't really go super far with playing sports. I actually ended up getting married and um, I turned down some pretty amazing offers <laughs> and moved into a different area of my life. But where I really got into sports was coaching. That was uh, what brought me back in. Well, I mean, thanks for sharing that. And I guess that makes a really good transition because um, I guess before getting into becoming a coach, I'd be curious to hear just, I guess, some of more about the challenges that you faced as an athlete, you know, growing into a top athlete as you did. And I know that you mentioned you were competing with everyone, no matter what. And it seems like that's something that can really enhance your athletic performance, but to some people, they may take it too far and they can focus on it too much. So did you ever find that is a challenge? You know, maybe you were focused too much on the competition versus using that to fuel you or what, are, what were some other challenges that you may have faced as an athlete? I think that, you know, comparison is definitely the thief of joy, right? It's, it can really um, just get inside of your head especially when you start climbing other people's mountains and trying to take their journey and, and everyone's got this different path. But I think that competition is healthy. I think wanting to be your best self, I think wanting to um, be the, the hardest worker in the room, all of that I think is, is great and is gonna fuel you. Where it hurt me is uh, when my ego became attached to it and that transferred into coaching. And so I would start to put my identity in my performance. And you can't do that because you're not always gonna perform the way that you want to. And if you don't feel worthy on the days you don't perform well, then you're up and down and you're not consistent. You can't get to where you wanna to get to. You're constantly starting over, or fighting your own battles in your head. So separating my ego was really important and remembering I am not what I, you know, my performance today, but I am, I am what I put into it. And so now I've got some accountability and some ownership that can help direct me. And as a coach, that ego at the very beginning when I started coaching really hurt me because I was very concerned about what do people think of me as a coach? What are they gonna think if I don't bring this team to where they need to be? And so with putting that pressure on myself, that pressure would be transferred because leadership, and I, I love this from John Gordon, leadership is a transfer of belief. If I believe my worth is related to how well this team performs, I'm going to do things to my team that I may not be in alignment with my beliefs as a coach because I need this outcome. So I might say something that I shouldn't say, and I might push you in a way I shouldn't push you. Um, I might make decisions that I shouldn't make because I need to win. I need to have this to, in order to validate myself. And many coaches are still operating out of that because the higher up you coach, of course, 
you know, your career begins to depend on it. Keeping your job begins to depend on it. And, um, and they're writing newspaper articles about you and people are trashing you on social media. You know, what were you thinking? And, and I've never coached at a level that was so high that I was going to be attacked on social media, but that is a very real thing, especially when you get into some of the bigger, bigger sports. So that was something that I had to be really careful of is just separating that competitive nature from, from ego. And I think that applies coaches or players alike and, and parents alike, you know, for, if we're even on that topic, a lot of parents feel like they are being judged by how their kids perform. And so it's the same thing. we start to push our kids because, well, if they're, they're not athletic, if they're not working hard, that reflects on my ego. And now I start to say things and do things that, that aren't in the best interest of my kid because I haven't separated myself from that. So I think it really um, transfers to all aspects. That's awesome. I, I know I always tell them, my son plays collegiate baseball and I always tell him the battle now is not your skill level, it's between your ears. You know, it's, it, that's where the real battle is right now. You, you've got the skill set. Um, well, I love that you played with the boys growing up. Um, I love that whole transition. So can you talk to us just a little bit? Now I've reached the point where it's time to hang the cleats up and become the coach. And what, you know, what was that transition for you? Was it difficult or was it exciting? And did you have any mentors like who really helped you get from that step to the next step? Yeah, you know, I, I stepped away from sports for a little bit. I, I had a family and, and I really, um, after raising my kids and, and they were, I guess they were about elementary school age. And I have three kids now that are um, two in college and one's a senior in high school. But um, when they were in that elementary school age and I had been pouring myself into them every single day, I needed something for myself. I realized that I was kind of losing myself. And so I volunteered to coach and I thought, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to coach. I'm just gonna, I guess I'll just get out there. And the very first day I stepped on the field, it was like someone had breathed life back into me. It was this unbelievable feeling. And I thought, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm meant to be out here on this field. And every single time I saw somebody's posture change because they had mastered something, it was like going to the, the gas station and fueling myself up. And I thought, wow, if I can fuel myself by fueling other people and helping them feel confident, especially these female athletes, that's, that's a win-win. Like, why wouldn't I do that? And I remember back to the days of, you know, being in that ballet class and thinking, I don't fit here. And I tried, uh, I tried softball. Okay. And people are amazing. Softball is a hard sport and, and uh, I was not good at it. So <laughs> I, I remember having no confidence and thinking, I'm just not an athlete. I'm not athletic. And which now I look at it and I go, well, that's ridiculous. Like I was built for sports. This is, this is what I do. And, and to have, be able to be that mentor that tells a kid, because we have, we would have parents that drop their kids off and say, she's not athletic. She's just, she's just not right in front of their kid. They're telling me she's not an athlete, you know, and this kid ends up being a superstar you know, and they just need someone to tell them you're an athlete. Like you want to compete, you want to be out here and we need to redefine what that looks like and that everybody really has that, that piece of them that can do it. So it, it really was a, a big transformation. Now making my journey from, okay, I'm helping out with the middle school team to, okay, now I'm taking over, you know, I'm assisting a high school team. Now I've taken over a high school program. Now I've rebuilt a high school program into a powerhouse 
Now I have something different that's come in. It's pressure. You know, before it was, hey, this is fun. Let's let's have a good time. And everybody, you know, whatever, we're gonna play and it's gonna be great and we're gonna have snacks, you know, that that's awesome. But then all of a sudden you're expected to win. You're expected to help these kids get scholarships. You know, there's all this pressure that comes in. There's parents who are standing at the fence glaring at you based on how long their kids are playing. Um, and they may not be the best matchup for that game, but you've got this pressure coming from all sides. And then you've got your ego, which, you know, you can put it aside, but it's always there. It's like that little sneaky monster under the bed. You know, that ego is always around the corner, ready to kind of come out if you don't keep it in check. So there's a lot of things coming into play. And that was my next transformation. That was, how do I figure out what do I stand for? What are my principles? What is most important to me? And how do I hold on to those no matter what is happening around me and not bend to my circumstance and not bend to pressure and be willing to say, I'm willing to get fired for this. That's, that's a tough question to answer, but it was an important one. And my transformation on that, I really didn't know how to do it. I knew skills. I knew how to have fun at practice. I didn't know how to build a culture of a team. And I was absolutely struggling and culture was kicking my butt. Um, I just, I thought that the old school way worked because it's what I knew it was the coaches on a pedestal. Don't question me. If you are all lined up, you're dressed perfectly. Um, you look the parts, you don't question me no matter what. And, and you work hard and I can joke around with you when I want to, but then decide not to later when I don't want, you know, when I need to be serious, I just thought that that'll work. And all that did was hide and put like a curtain between me and all of the issues that were going on under the surface. And eventually that's going to blow up. It blows up in your face. I guarantee it. And all of the coaches that tell me, um, you know, and that's what I do now is I, I work with a lot of teams and a lot of coaches. And as soon as the coach says, we don't have any drama on our team, we've been really lucky. I, it's like red flag. Like if you don't have drama on your team, then you're either not paying attention or you've turned your back on it because there's no such thing, thing as a team without drama. You want to have, um, and that's kind of another topic, but you, you really... Or you're not coaching girls. <laughs> yeah, you, you, have to, you have to have drama. It's called positive conflict. Like if you don't have conflict on your team, you're not growing, you're not connecting. If you have a relationship with someone and you never argue, are you actually getting to the bottom of things and getting to know each other and learning more? No, you have to have positive conflict, but it has to be in an open environment that's been built and allows, you know, allows yourselves to have that. So I had to learn how to do that. And that was my, that was my biggest transformation. That didn't come until after I met um, John Gordon in, in an airport. <laughs> well, um, I'm hearing so many different things. And, you know, you mentioning that you're coaching at the middle school, high school, just so many different levels, yet uh, something that remains constant is battling that ego. And that's something that you have to continually keep in check, even as pressures increase with higher levels of expectations and performance in your team. And then, you know, at the core of this coaching, you feel this reward from being a positive influence on the lives of others and really transforming lives. But, you know, did anything change as you, with, you had to go through higher pressures of higher competitions? And then um, how did that look like for building a team culture? Was it any easier at 
a different level or is that just something that is constantly changing each year as you get new people coming into the team and other people exiting the team? Yeah, you know, the dynamics change with everything and, and culture is constantly shifting. It's a living, breathing thing. So you can never get to the point where you say, we've got great culture. Let's put that little medal on the shelf and celebrate it and let's move on to something else because every single day something changes. And like over the past year with COVID, um, everyone has gone through a huge shift and even teams that had a solid culture are falling apart. And we've got um, you know, so much unrest going on just in society in general, plus COVID, plus things getting shut down, um, families going through incredible hardships. All of that, even though it's unrelated to the sport, it's, you know, directly is carried onto the field. And I had a lot of phone calls from coaches that over the fall that when people returned to school, they said, I have a different team and I'm, I don't know what to do. You know, everyone's, they're fighting. It's like someone put out a tweet, someone put out a whatever, and it's, you know, it's just, um, snowballing. So for me, the transformation was learning that relationships are number one, relationships are the core. I needed to have a relationship with all of my players, not just the ones that I kind of gelled with, which is a lot easier to do. Um, the ones that are kind of standoffish and you think, oh, that, that player doesn't like me. And people don't realize coaches feel that too. It's not just the other way around. We stand up in front of our team and go, oh, I think that person's rolling their eyes, or I think that person thinks I'm a dork. You know, is that even a word anymore? Um, but it's like, <laughs> you think about that. You're self-conscious sometimes as a coach, standing in front of a group of, you know, very judgy teenage girls. I just kind of tell them from the beginning, you know, look, I'm nerdy, get used to it. Um, let's throw that out there. But I needed to learn how to be vulnerable. And now my very first thing, instead of telling them, hey, we're going to be a family, trust me, be committed, you know, asking them to give all this stuff to me on day one, they don't know me. Why are they going to give that to me? I can't force them to give them. They can fake it, but it's not real. So my first conversation with a new team every season is going to be, I'm human and I am going to try 100% every single day to bring my best and do what's right and in the best interest of you individually and for us as a team and for us as a program. But unfortunately, there's a 100% chance that I'm going to mess it up. And I'm at some point, I'm going to say something that either I don't mean or comes out wrong. And I'm going to do some, I'm going to make a decision that's going to be a mistake that I'm going to question later. And, and I'm going to do those things because I'm human. And I'm asking you as my team, be willing to forgive me for that. I promise you, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to own up to it. I'm going to do all the things I need to do. And in return, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to allow you, if you will come and try every single day, and if you promise to make it right, I'm going to allow you to be human. I'm going to forgive you when you come to me and tell me you've made a mistake. And I'm going to understand that life is going to get in the way sometimes. And you're going to say something or do something that's not of character for yourself. And we just kind of open the door to that. So now we're, we're open to have these conversations of coach, I messed up. And I can sit down with them and say, uh, I told you I was going to sub you in the last two minutes of that game. And I got caught up and I forgot, and you did the right thing, and you stood over there and didn't say anything, and I, that's on me, and I'm going to make up for that, you know, and I apologize, but that's, we have to figure that out, um, that we're going to mess up, so that was really key, this, building the relationships from the beginning, weekly check-ins, when I was coaching at the collegiate level, it was every single week I had to have a meeting uh, for, you know, even if you, we don't have anything to talk about, we always found something to talk about, you know, it was like, coach, I don't really have anything, and then five minutes in, you know, like, somebody's crying and you realize, wow, they're really stressed out. They have a lot going on and they needed someone to come in and talk to. So 
that's really important are those check-ins. It's an opportunity. Sometimes people don't want to bring things to you, but if you're always having conversations, it becomes really natural and easy to start talking about what's going on on the team and, and what struggles and, and pull the curtain back, see the drama, address it head on and have it be like a, a really cool way to have the team come together and have conversations like, oh, I can't wait till we have our, our uh, download this week and just talk about the struggles we're going through and, um, and get things fixed so we feel great for the next, for the next week. So that was really important. Um, and, and, and the ego thing, of course, is really important is putting that aside. And that really helps me um, kind of move forward as a coach. Those were some of my biggest challenges is just taking down the wall and being a little bit more vulnerable with the team and allowing them to be vulnerable as well. Because, you know, what happens is the players put this wall up because do you ever want your coach to see you less than perfect? If they're judging you and basing your playing time and, and your awards and your whatever it is off of you being awesome, you're going to hide those things that aren't perfect from yourself. So you're not real. And as a coach, if I need, you know, to be perfect in my mind for you to trust me and to talk to me and to listen to me, then I'm hiding who I am. And all we've done is block the connection that we could have had. That's going to make them want to play hard for me and make me want to stay committed to them. When I have one of those practices where I'm just like, I'm done. <laughs> out you know we have to have those um those commitments and that's that's going to take connection i love that you were just able to verbalize that i think coaches across the country can relate to everything you just said and it's amazing that you were you make it human you, you humanize it you know i think athletes and coaches try they seek for perfection they expect for perfection and it's unobtainable in sports i mean perfect the, the games are not designed that way yeah. um so i think um that's awesome and and that's very impactful for anyone that gets a chance to hear this today so you as we talked to um you, you mentioned meeting john gordon in the airport i'd love to tap into that because what an amazing opportunity i know that you have personally your best-selling author written four books now and you've just recently written a book with john gordon um and it was entitled stick together if i'm correct yep and how awesome so can you tell us about this how this union happened yeah. And you know what, this is a huge lesson for all of us who walk around with our faces buried in our phones. And it's so much worse now with masks, masks on. It's easier to just not talk to people than to be like, what, what did you say? <laughs> you can't, you know, we can't communicate well. And I was at an airport coming back from a, a US lacrosse clinic. So I used to do trainings for US lacrosse for coaches. So I'm just walking to my, my flight and I was kind of looking for something to eat and there was nothing around. And there's a guy standing in line um for at this little like smoothie booth and i had on my u.s lacrosse gear and um i don't know if you know but john gordon played lacrosse so he played lacrosse at cornell which is ironic because my dad played lacrosse at cornell um years and years before him of course and he um he just walked over to me he's like oh u.s lacrosse you know i know some of those uh, lacrosse players and i'm like okay cool you know awesome and he said oh i've written some books you know and he gave me a card with some of his books on it and i'm like okay that's that's really cool i didn't really know who he was but um i was on a plane with it was a whole bunch of the atlanta falcons players so i was like huge football players giant necks on this plane so i felt either really safe or like the plane was going to be too heavy um so i get on the plane and then he's sitting up in first class and i'm like oh he must sell a few books you know, <laughs> I passed by, I was like, oh, nice seat. I think I gave him like a little snarky comment. 
and maybe he's a big deal <laughs> yeah i was like oh all right well you want to trade seats and he said no uh <laughs> so he said he was going to send me some of his books and when i got home i looked him up and i was like oh okay so this guy's been you know he's sold a few books and this was back in like 2013 so and he's grown you know his audience has grown so much since then but i I did reach out to him. I, I sent an email to this info at John Gordon and I'm thinking, you know, where does this go, right? Two minutes after I send my email, I get a response from John that says, awesome, what's your address? We're gonna send these books to you. And he sent me three or four signed copies of like the Energy Bus Training Camp. Uh, I think maybe no complaining role, but anyway, a couple of those books. And I read the Energy Bus and that was, um, you know, the Energy Bus, I don't know if you've read it, but it's it's very simple. All of John Gordon's books are very simple. Uh, it's a fable and you're reading it and thinking, well, this is really, you know, straightforward stuff I already know, but it's just, there's something about the way that he presents it. And this light bulb went off that shifted me from, um, you know, I'm a realist and it shifted me on my on my perception of what is positivity. So I thought that positivity was oh, you're doing really good today. Like, yeah, okay, good job. Even though they're not doing a good job because I want to stay positive. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> like, we're never going to get better. I need to tell you that you stink today so that you know that you need to get better right now. Like the shortest distance to where we want to go is me being bluntly honest with you. <laughs> and I, what I didn't realize is that I was cracking apart the culture by, by doing that. But his, you know, his take on positivity is that you're very real about where you are. You know what? We're not performing well today. This isn't the effort that I know that we can bring. However, my belief that I'm transferring as a leader is so strong that where we are going is going to be so amazing. This vision is so powerful. And what we're going to do has never been done because there's never been this group of people with these different talents and these different life experiences ever together before. So why wouldn't we be able to do something that's never been done? And I believe this so strongly that we're gonna get through where we are. And what I'm asking from you is what can you bring? What can you contribute that's gonna help us get there? And this is how you fire up your team. This is how you build belief and build excitement. The other way is this, you stink, like you, you're lazy. You don't want to be here. I want this more than you do. You know, there's all these things that you hear from coaches all the time. None of those things builds that fire, but the other way where you're talking about where you're going and you're asking them to come with you, that builds, that builds this fire and it, it builds self-motivation and it's, it drives everybody forward and, and you can't wait to get to practice because, oh my gosh, we're going to do something we've never done before. Let's do it. Let's start crossing these things off. And I got rid of doing goals and started doing um, milestones. You know, it was every time we do something that we haven't done before, we're gonna write it down and we're gonna hang it up. And so it's not, okay, we have to hit this goal. Well, we didn't hit it today. You know, oh, we're gonna score three goals in the first two minutes. Those are fun, but if you don't hit it, then what do you do the rest of the game? Just You're just depressed because you didn't hit your goal. You know, what if it's, hey, the first time we score more goals in the fastest amount of time, we're going to hang this um, cool thing up in the locker room. And so now you've never, you can never miss your mark because you're just working towards it. And when you get it, you celebrate like crazy, no matter how small it is. Um, you know, I'm going to get through this game without having to, um, you know, tie my shoe because I did it right the first time. <laughs> Whatever it is that you need to celebrate, that's the milestone and you get to, you get to celebrate it. So that really changed 
um, how I looked at positivity. And once I looked at it that way, I really, I couldn't go back to the other way. And that was, um, so my book, Confessions of an Imperfect Coach, was my journey from, I, I moved and, you know, across the country, I took on a new team that was relatively low on the ranking pool. I, I don't remember, it was like maybe 50, 60 out of like 70 teams or something, pretty low um, in ranking wise. And I just thought, all right, I'm going to do this differently because I had a team that won and nobody wanted to play. And I went home and questioned why I was coaching every single day. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I said, I'm going to focus 100% on their experience and I'm still going to coach, but I'm going to focus on their experience as number one. And when there's a conflict, experience is going to come first. I'm also going to coach with what I have in front of me. I spent so much time fighting against the tide, fighting against, oh, why do you have to take that test after school today? Why didn't you do it before school? Why do you have to go to an orthodontist appointment when you had all last week when we didn't have, you know, practice to schedule this? Like, um, you know, are you really sick? Like what's going on? You know, I was just questioning everything all the time. And I decided, or, you know, why are we on the softball field dirt while the Frisbee team is on our turf field today? You know, what is going on? I was just constantly fighting the things that were being thrown at me. And I said, Every day I'm going to show up and I'm going to say, I'm going to have the best practice that I can have with what is in front of me right now. And I'm not going to worry about what's not in front of me because I can't control that. And the more I tried to control it, the more miserable I was. And that shift made me love coaching again. And it made the players love coming to practice and the players wanted to come to practice because I was no longer trying to control them. I was just giving them a great experience. And I thought, well, we're going to have a really fun season we're going to lose, but we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. I even, I cut Saturday practices off. I, I mean, I was like, I was just, oh, okay. All right. And people are like, who are you? You know, <laughs> and it, it was, it was a tough shift, but as I got through the season, I'm looking at my, um, my record and I knew we were, we were winning some games and we had won some games against teams that apparently they'd never won before, you know, in their conference. And so we were doing some pretty cool stuff. The first game we lost in triple overtime. And I thought, um, all right, you know, here we go. Here goes, here goes the rest of the season. Well, we didn't lose again after that. We literally were undefeated going through the rest of the season. And ironically, in order to get into the final four, which is going to be a very first for this team, we had to play the team that we played in the first game that we lost to in triple overtime. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And I was writing about this in a journal. That's what actually got turned into the book. So as you're reading the book, you're kind of seeing my mindset and I didn't know what the outcome was gonna be while I was writing it. So you kind of learn it as I'm learning it. And I'm freaking out because I've got this big game and I'm thinking, well, it's been a great season, but all right, do I believe this or not? Do I believe that we can do this? And we actually ended up beating that team. And I, I can't remember the score anymore, but I think it was something like 26 to six. This is the team we lost to in triple overtime at the end of the season. That's the growth that we had. And that growth was not, it was with less practice. It was less strict rules. It was focused on experience instead of um, trying to control everybody. Uh, if somebody didn't have matching socks, I didn't freak out. Uh, you know, it still bothered me. <laughs> but it was just a different way of looking at things. And it, it's hard for me to even remember how I coached before then because it's, it's just very separate. There was only one time when I was coaching uh, a college team 
very new college team. We actually had to go out and find players never played before a huge portion of the team had never played before. And we had no subs, none. So we actually had a couple of players run off the field and throw up in the trash can and run back on the field because they didn't have subs and they were exhausted and we were required to keep the full roster, you know, out there. We couldn't pull them to rest. So we lost. I didn't even know this was a score in lacrosse, by the way, we lost 28 to zero. I have never seen that score in my life. I've always played for winning programs and I've always coached winning programs. So this was a little bit of a slap in the face. It was a good wake up of be very nice about the score to other teams because man, that bus ride home was the biggest ego check of my life. And I had to swallow that. I had to turn around and I had to look at every one of those players faces who had busted their butts for that entire hour while getting humiliated as this team celebrated all the way up to their 28th goal, they had two full rosters. They had an entire other team on the sideline. Just, you know, they weren't tired. And I had to look at my team and I had to decide what I was gonna tell them. And I had to transfer my belief into them. And I said, what are they gonna take into their life from this game? And how am I gonna get them to show up at practice? and think this is still an awesome thing to do with their time because it's a huge sacrifice to play a collegiate sport. You know, as anyone who's played a collegiate sport knows, you'd rather be at a party sometimes, right? You know, So anyway, that, that, was, a, that was a big gut checking moment for me. And, and it took all of the lessons that I learned to get me there um, to be able to make the right decision in that moment. That is an incredible story. <laughs> I want to highlight one thing and then Megan's going to take over, but I just want to highlight for coaches and athletes that are listening to you right now. It's so powerful to focus on the, you know, the process, not the results. I mean, I think coaches will, I coached before as well, focus on the win instead of the journey, but the journey is what those kids take for life. And you just, you know, we're so great at expressing that and demonstrating that. And I really hope coaches have stopped and noted that. You know, what's funny about a win that never really sunk in until, um, I don't know, much later than it should have a win is like eating an ice cream cone. Like when you're done, it's gone, it's gone. You can win and then you can wake up the next morning and you have another game and nobody cares that you won the last game. You're literally starting over to win the next one. And so if you're, if all you care about is the win, it's like, you know, working weeks and weeks and weeks to get to something that's going to last minutes. It just doesn't make sense when 99% of your time is the journey and you're miserable and you're only happy in that, you know, 50, 50 moment of when you take the win, it's not worth it. I, to me, it's not worth it. If you hate training, if you don't enjoy the people on your team, you're not going to like playing sports. If you same with your job, you know, if you don't like your job every day and the people that you work with, yeah, you might get some, some awards. You might be really good. You might get a good paycheck that lasts, hopefully that lasts a little longer than a win, but, but you're going to be miserable. This is your life. This is what you're filling it with. And that journey is, is so important. And, and it's all about, it's all about experience. And man, the other stuff that comes, it's, it's a gift. So if I, if we lost every single game, but I had the best experience in my life and I grew and I got better, then I got something for that. I got something, a return on my investment. And if we end up winning a whole bunch of stuff, man, that's just like, that's the gift. That's an extra. It's a bonus for me. And it's not that we're not striving to win because people say that all the time. Oh, well, then what's the point? No, I want to win, but I want to have a great experience so that that win means something when I get it. 
Yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it because especially in sports, it's so easy to get sucked into that defeat and, you know, it can lead to even more defeat if you get stuck in that mindset and you kind of get stuck in this hole. Whereas if you keep the bigger picture in mind, you can come back and win the rest of the season and use it as fuel to motivate you. Um, so I think that is incredible that this whole time you're keeping a journal and then what made you decide to put it into a book and get it published? I actually, um, you know, I put it together and I sent it to John at the end of the season. And I just said, I want you to know that I ran on it. It was actually an experiment. It's kind of like a secret experiment. I said, I ran an experiment on my team where I was going to, instead of focusing on mistakes, I was going to focus on positives. And even to the extent where at the end of the game, instead of saying, um, you know, here's what you did wrong, which is typically what coaches do at the end of the game. Hey, here's where we messed up today. Uh, I wrote down anything that we needed to fix in my notebook. They didn't need to hear it. And I told them, we got into a circle, it was our celebration circle, I put our arms around each other. And it was just shout outs. Even if we just got pummeled, whatever it was, what did we see that was good? What do we appreciate about our teammates? So it was just all these shout outs. And they left the game, no matter how the game went, excited to come to practice. And then as a coach, I took ownership to build the drills that would fix what we needed to fix. And I watched time after time, other, other teams leaving with their head down. And I thought, I'm going to have a more productive practice on Monday because my team can't wait to come to practice and they're excited to train. And that team is mad at each other. They're blaming each other. They're upset. They're hanging their heads. They're upset with themselves. And if I need to feed something to my team, I need to feed them something that's going to make them better athletes. That's my job. My job is to make you the best that you can be. That's what a coach is. So I need to do that in a way that makes sense, not in a way that defeats you because I don't know how that's going to make you better. And it's not about not having high expectations, but I put it together and I sent it to John and he's like, this is awesome. I'm going to share it. And so I I made a little booklet out of it. Like I you know, went online and found this place that would print it. And I started handing them out to people and they loved it. And it was, I had finally decided, okay, I started a blog actually and started writing about culture and about different things that coaches are doing that could be kind of just switched around a little bit, you know, same objective, mm -hmm. different approach. And that got really popular, started to get picked up by a lot of organizations. There was getting crazy hits and everything on, on the internet. So I said, all right, I'm going to take these blog posts. I'm going to take the story and I'm going to put them together in a book and put it out there. So that's kind of how that, that came to be. And that's how I got connected with John. Um, at that point, you know, just started kind of jumping in and helping out, out a little bit. And then over the last couple of years have come in and started taking his books and helping him create workshops and working with teams to take those principles and bring them to life, bring teams together. And um, in my experiences as a coach and all of the experiments and things that, that I went through and said, man, if I wish somebody had helped me with this because I had to fumble my way through it. And that was, um, that was a big deal to be able to have John kind of mentor me through. And I would call him and say, man, I don't know what I'm going to do with this team. And he, he would just throw, you know, drop a knowledge bomb. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's, <laughs> you know, and, and I thought that was really awesome, but um, then I got pulled in. So now I'm his VP of leadership development. So I get to uh, make a lot of really cool programs. And then we wrote this book together, um, stick together. And that is really all about how do you take a team, you know, 
and it's about a sports team, it's about a basketball team, but it, it could be any sport, it could be any business, any team or group that wants to come together. Lots of talent, but how do you get them to work together? And that's that's what this story is all about. And it's it's a short um, little fable. It's kind of like the same size as like the coffee bean, if you've seen that. And um, but but really powerful, and very simple, and to the point of how do you get how do you get people to come together? And great um, great book for like a book study with, with a group of people. So that's coming out. Um, it's in pre-launch right now. So people are reading the advanced copy, and then March thirtieth, that'll be officially out. Oh, that's so exciting. What's fascinating about you to me is that you wear so many hats. I mean, you're an athlete, you're a mom, a wife, an author, a public speaker. I mean, it's a lot of different hats all kind of toward the same goals in each area. Um, so let's keep the hat on as the I've now started speaking and talking to people. And this becomes for business leaders as well as athletes, because we all have teams, whether we're a sports team or a business. Um, what's your advice to when taking over a program or a business not doing that well? And we, we're trying to get a winning culture in that business. We're trying to get a winning culture on this team. I'm a new coach. I've taken over a team. Haven't had a lot of success like you did. Um, what's some real cues you can give them? And then if they're picking leaders, what are those qualifications you would choose as the leaders for them? Because they're going to need leaders in on teams and in business. Yeah, you know, I think um, from my perspective, just what I've seen is that one of the bigger mistakes that a lot of leaders make when they come in to take over a new program is, uh, first of all, I have to remember that a lot of programs are having frequent turnover. And so for athletes um, and, and for businesses too, if you have a new leader, manager, coach, every year or two, and for an athlete who's there for four years, some, I know athletes that have had a different coach every single year. And, you know, you walk in on day one, new coach, who's all excited, has their list of rules, has their list of the way that, you know, that they like to do things. And we forget, you know, how difficult it is to readjust to a new person who's leading. How do they like to do things? How do they like to communicate with us? How do they you know, all of that information that you really need right away to be, you know, really a, a better team member. We don't have that because what happens is the new leader, the new coach comes in and all that it's excitement. You know, I mean, it's, it's well intentioned, but it's here's all of, you know, your old way was dumb. Here's the new way. We're going to wipe out everything. And these could be traditions that they loved. These could be, um, you know, just things that they enjoyed doing. This could be something where half the team really, it was a you know, sore point for them and the other half like loved it. And you just come in in a blanket, wipe it clean and bring in your new way. And you say, this is how it is. And nobody believes you. Nobody believes you that this is how it is. And they've seen leader after leader or coach after coach come in and say, this is how it is. And, it, and it's, it's not true. So I think that that's one of the bigger mistakes that people make when they come in and try to turn around a culture. I think that when you come in, you should come in as a student. And one of the worst advice I was given when I took, uh, when I started as a new coach was come in really, really strict because, and then you can loosen up because if you don't, they're going to walk all over you. And I, that was the worst advice I ever got because the worst thing you can do is walk into a room and put up a wall immediately. Um, they're not going to walk all over you because you're not strict. They're going to walk all over you because you're not firm in your principles and what you believe in. 
you can be kind, you can be understanding and you can be loving as much as you want to and nobody's gonna walk all over you. Uh, that's not what, that's not why it happened. They walk all over you because you're wishy-washy and you're not sure what you believe in and you don't stand firm in your principles and you don't, you don't live the way you speak. That's, that's where I think the disconnect comes. So when you go in, you go in as a student and you say, teach me what it is that you all love about this program. Teach me what you love about the school. Teach me what you love about this business. What do you love about each other? Why, why are you here? What would you like to get out of this experience? If it was the best experience of your life, what would it look like? If, if this was an awesome place to come every day, what specifically would it look like? What would people say? What would they be thinking and what would they do? And now you're sitting there and you're letting the team create for you where they want to go. Because your job as a leader is not to tell a team where they're going and who they are. Your job is to learn about them and to help them get where they want to go because you will never take a team that wants to be a middle of the road this is just something we do for fun um, whatever and take them to a championship just because you want to go there doesn't matter what you do you can punish them you can you know whatever you need to take a team where they want to go now that doesn't mean you can't paint an incredible vision and show them that they don't have the limits that they think that they have and really help them understand that they can go farther than they think they can go. That's different, you know, that's different than um, taking them somewhere they don't wanna go. But our job is to show them their potential, get them excited about it, make them believe they can get there. But if they don't wanna get there, we're not done. We're not done our job of transferring that belief yet. So we can only take them where they believe they're gonna go, period. You know, I've talked to several teams who have said, we would love, you know, we wanna be a championship. That's our goal. We wanna win the championship. I mean. I, who doesn't, who doesn't want to win? Nobody starts the season off to like, well, I hope we finish last. That sounds great, right? Everyone wants the championship. But then you ask them, you know, the follow-up question, which nobody ever asks, where do you truly believe actually that you're going to go? Where do you really, you know, in your mind, bottom of the line, not what you hope, what do you really believe we're going to do? And they're going to tell you, we'll probably do the same as last year. I've, I've heard that over and over again. I'm like, you just told me your goal was to win a championship, but you believe you're going to do the same as last year. Guess which one you're going to get. And, and that belief is so important. So you got to build a belief. You got to come in as a student. You have to know the people on your team and you have to create the vision together. And then instead of going, here's all the rules. This is what's worked for everyone else. You say, what are you all willing to commit to? And do you believe that what you're committing to right now individually and as a team will get you to where you just said you wanted to go. Oh, you don't? Okay, great. Well, let's, let's realign these then. What do you think it'll take to get there? All right, what are you willing to do? And so it, leading is, is leading. You're, you're not dragging, you're not pulling and you're not commanding. You're saying, you know, hey, here's a path. Here's the way. I'm gonna help you paint it and, and we're gonna go. You're a guide and you're gonna give them the tools to get there. And when you come at it from that vantage point, it is it will change everything about your program. Um, it, and it's, um, it, it's incredible to watch it happen. And you can sit there in an hour, two hours in one of my workshops and watch a team shift from we're stuck. We can't get anywhere to, I cannot wait to where we're going. Let's get at it. Let's get out of here. Like we want to end this workshop because we want to get going. We cannot wait to get this done um, in building those connections. So uh, I think that's really the most important. I think you've given so much great advice for a coach or a leader that's stepping into a program and kind of 
breeding people to change their belief because I can imagine that's one of the most difficult things to change in a team is to create and instill that belief that they can become better than they originally once thought. Um, and now does this approach for building a winning culture, does it change between sports and business from what you've seen? Um, I would say no, I, I think they're identical. And I, I think it's one of the reasons why you see athletes so incredibly successful when they go out into the business world. It's one of the reasons why I love, um, I, I love seeing athletes get out there and, and really just dominate in teams in, because everything you do is going to be involved in a team in, in some way. And you're building these skills. Uh, hopefully you're building these skills because not everyone who plays sports, you know, everyone says sports te teach life lessons. Well, sports don't teach life lessons, right? The, the lessons you learn from sports are going to teach you something, but it's not necessarily positive. There's so much more to it. You've got to have a good leader and you've got to have a good, a good program. Uh, so I definitely think that it, it moves in between the two in between the two areas. And I know you asked about, about choosing leaders. Um, whenever I look for a leader, I look for, um, I look for someone who, one, who, who's committed. You know, obviously I think that's gonna be really important. Someone who loves the program, whether it's your business or your sport or whatever, if they are burnt out, then they're gonna, whatever they are and whatever, whatever's in their heart and whatever they think and believe is going to spread we're all kind of contagious in that way. And so you want to have someone who is going to spread something that makes the team thrive. And so that's really what I look for. And it's not about being the most vocal or bossy, although you do need to be out in front a little bit, you know, you have to be able to, um, to speak up and to share, you know, to some extent, but someone who lives that I think is, is the most important. And just because they don't know how to lead and, and most females are not given leadership training. It's why I started power positive leadership for teens with John, because people are thrown into leadership positions and they don't know how to do it. And you're going to hear over and over again, things like, um, why well, I, nobody's listening to me. You know, I tell them, but they don't listen to me or, um, uh, you know, I don't want to be bossy. I don't want them to not like me. And so we have this balance of, I'm afraid to hold people accountable. I'm afraid to be that person. I want people to like me because when you're the leader, your people are supposed to like you, you know, whatever, whatever we have in our head, um, especially leading peers, man, leading peers is one of the hardest things you can do. Cause like, well, who are you to tell me, you know, what I'm doing wrong is wrong or whatever. And, and I hear a lot of times too, I don't want my teammates to hold me accountable. They're not the coach, you know, like I know what I need to do. And if there's a problem, the coach will tell me. And so we have this, this block. So that's a matter of shifting culture and getting everyone to believe that this person, you know, we love each other and it's okay to use that L word, you know, it's, it's a little standoffish for some people, but you know what, if you love each other, you're going to be more committed to each other. And if you know that someone has your best interest at heart, are you going to allow them to correct you more than if you think someone's just telling you you're doing it wrong? So you build those relationships. So you want to look for people who are able to relate and connect to other people because People are going to listen to them um, and then just teaching them, teaching them how to get people to listen to them. And it's not about telling people how to do it or that they're doing it wrong. It's building a connection and saying, I'm going to hold you accountable. I've seen you do this better. I know you can do it better. And I need you to do it better because that's the reason you're here. Our team can't do what we do without your hundred percent because you are so valuable. 
what can I do to help you get back to that 100%? That's a leader to me. Absolutely. And we just have a couple more topics before we wrap up, but I think we, it's such an important place to be at when we're talking about athletes right now. Um, you know, I, I never had all the answers. I had to change all the time. But one thing my teams always did was tell each other they loved each other and hugged each other because touch is important. People don't get a lot of, um, I love you. Some kids never hear that at home. Um, some kids hear it all the time. And, um, but when you talk about athletes and changing your approach, it has changed. I mean, kids are coached differently now than, and maybe some people are successful coaching the same way they have. I didn't find that experience. I found I had to change with time. What was your experience with today's athlete? Has it changed for you? And in what way has it changed for you in coaching athletes? Yes, it has definitely changed. And um, you know, I've heard arguments on, well, kids haven't changed, the adults have changed and all this stuff. And, and I think that's ridiculous because I can tell you, I'm very grateful. I did not grow up under the microscope of social media, of pictures that can be zoomed in so small that you can see every flaw of, you know, the comparisons of the, you know, fake, fake things that are out there. I, I'm glad I didn't grow up with that. And I'm certainly glad we didn't have Twitter. I would, I probably would have been in trouble all the time. You know, just imagine like the world is so different. Um, and the, the amount of things that are expected of kids these days is very different. The competition to get into school is different. The competition for sports is different. So they don't live in the same world that we did. And I think acknowledging that is really important. They're under a different kind of pressure. Um, yeah, some things are easier. Could we go on Google and, and look something up in two seconds? No, we had to go look through the card catalog, which thankfully they'll never know what that is. Um, but but their life is not easier because they have Google, you know, they have a lot of other challenges. And I think it's, there's a lot less connection um, than we used to have. And so they need that even more than they did before. So it's really important that as coaches, we're taking the time to put down the phone, you know, and, and teaching them, here's how to connect because most you know, I hate blanket statements, but most kids don't like to make phone calls. You know, I'll just text it. I mean, I'll get as a coach, I would get four, four page texts. And I'm like, well, it would have been two seconds to pick up the phone. This must've taken you hours. It probably, probably didn't take them hours, but you know, this long text message and I'm thinking, can we just talk on the phone? Teaching them how to connect and reconnect and have that face-to-face, -face. Um, even with COVID right now is get on a video chat. Don't just call them. Don't just text them. I know that's easier, but see their face see their expression. And um, I just think that's, I think that's really important. I think also that kids want to know why, um, maybe more than they used to. And it's really important that we don't just because I said so, you know, I, I grew up with because I said so, and I just kind of accepted it because that's how it was. But it's so important now that we understand a little bit more that if I understand why I'm not starting, if I understand why um, whatever's happening in this team, or I wasn't chosen for this project, whatever it is, if I understand what I need to work on. And I'm also given hope and the tools. I'm not being, I'm not asking to, um, you know, enable anybody. I'm saying, give them the tools, do the things that we're supposed to do to help them to do it for themselves, because we're teaching them how to learn how to do it on their own. Um, then they're going to be more successful. And I started open door policy instead of don't talk to me about playing time. Parents don't call me. I want to hear only from your kid. I do acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, one in 50 kids is now being diagnosed with some sort of spectrum, um, you know, issue. And they may not be able to communicate the way that I expect them to communicate. 
so they might need a parent to help them kind of work through it. And how will they learn as adults if as a high school student, middle school student, even a college student, because honestly, they're getting to college without these skills. If they don't know how to communicate and advocate for themselves, rather than saying, well, then I'm not going to talk to you. Why isn't it my job to recognize they don't know how to do this? I'm in a position where I can teach them how to effectively do it. Why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I sit them down and say, hey, here's a great way where next time you could approach me with this. Um, start with an email, start with a, whatever it is, or after practice, this would be a really good time. Instead of how dare you talk to me at that time, why don't you tell them what they should do and then walk them through it and then praise them when they do it the next time so that when they leave your program, your business, whatever it is, they have now been empowered. And, and I think that's really important. And I think that the kids of today um, and kids meaning <laughs> all the way through, but they need those, they need those tools and we need to be way more open to teaching them instead of holding them accountable to something that's very possible has never been taught to them. I also think as parents, just the generation and I'll, I'll take ownership for this because I'm probably, I'm in that parent category right now. We tend to um, want to give our kids what we didn't get as kids because we were told because I said so, or we don't have those resources. And now there's such cool things. We're like, we want our kid to have that. Also, we want to vicariously want our kid to have that. Um, you know, like that video game, it's, it's for you, right? Until you go to school. <laughs> so we, you know, we want to give that to them. So unfortunately, we have created a pattern of doing it for our kids because it's easier. Oh, I'll, you know what? I'm buddies with your teacher. I'll just shoot them a quick email and let them know that you struggled with that, whatever. A lot of kids are going to come to you in your program. They're going to come to you as employees, not knowing how to approach leadership this is an opportunity for us to teach them instead of holding them accountable for something they haven't learned yet. Um, kind of adding to this. So you're for many years as a coach, you've been just pouring your hearts into the lives of the athletes that you coach and you're spending so much time with on a daily basis. Um, have you faced any, you know, life events or challenges that may have enhanced your sense of empathy or just desire to continue to live your life to the fullest and also help others just continue to excel in athletics, life, just any area of life that they choose? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've had, I've had many, <laughs> but I will say, you know, a couple of big ones. For one with coaching, it was when my kids became athletes themselves and I got to see the parent side and I realized, wow, that, my kids having trouble communicating what's going on and understanding and they're upset. And if I knew what the coach was doing, I could help them through it, not fix it, not tell the coach they're wrong, but I could help them with the life lesson. But because I'm in the dark, I'm just helpless. And when I'm helpless, it makes me angry with the coach. And when I'm angry with the coach, that's not a good place to be. And you start questioning what the coach is doing. And then you start talking to other parents that are questioning what the coach is doing. And so when you see from the parent side, what's happening to you, you go, oh, I did this. <laughs> I caused this. And so that's, the, that's why I started the open door policy it was based on that. It was, you can come and ask me why your kid is playing the amount of playing time that your kid is playing. Absolutely. I will have a meeting with you. And I will have a meeting with your kid as well. And we will talk about what they need to do specifically. I'll even give you some drills if you want to go in the backyard and then we'll plan a follow-up meeting to see if there's any improvement. 
And now the parent has power and the parent goes, this person cares about my kid. They may not agree with me, but they can see that I care and that I'm giving them hope and I'm giving them an avenue to move forward. And really that is, that is what parents want. And I had to become a parent in a program in order to understand that and to change the way I was coaching. Um, as far as, you know, the, 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 I love you of my players. I, I started that, um, gosh, I don't know. I, you know, at some point when I was coaching high school and I started telling my players that I love them because I realized that some of the players, I mean, I had players, I would give them the gloves off my hands. I would let them wear my coat. I'm sitting there, I'm freezing. And I have Raynaud. So my hands are like completely white. I have no blood, but I'm like, you're cold. Here you go. Take my stuff. And then they would go home and tell their parents, my coach doesn't like me. And I'm like, we don't, I don't know what to do. I, I, I love you guys. But I realized if you don't tell them, they don't know. You can't assume your, you know, people know that you care about them because you may not be projecting that correctly, especially when you're under stress and you're holding people to a high standard. And so I started telling athletes, I care about you. I value you. I love you guys. Um, you mean a lot to me. And even to the point where, you know what, you guys are playing terrible and I know you can do better, but I want you to know, I believe in you. I value you and I love you so that they never just hear this negative stuff coming out of my mouth. Um, because, because I've been that coach and I didn't ever want to be that coach again. And I know that I have broken people and that it kills me. And it's like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life making up for that, you know, for that ego trip that led me down that road. And, um, one of my, one of my athletes, uh, actually passed away a couple years ago. Um, when I, this is actually when I left college coaching and I didn't necessarily leave for this reason. I left because my daughter was still in high school and I wanted, I was flying back and forth trying to see her games. And, um, it, it was just really difficult and I wanted to commit to being a parent, um, you know, more importantly than being a coach. So it was just really hard to make it work. And as I was getting ready to, end, to go through that season, I had flown home actually to watch the Super Bowl with the family. So I headed out on, um, on like a Friday and I said goodbye to my players. I had my one-on-one -on -one meetings, which I always have. And I had thought about skipping them, but I was like, nope, I'm going to have my meetings because it's what I do. And um, gave my players a hug, said goodbye. And then on Sunday, I got a phone call that one of my athletes had been in a car accident. And then later that she had passed away. And that was the last one-on-one -on -one meeting I had with her. That was the, I love you. She actually gave me her, um, I was trying to dig out my car and I, I couldn't dig it out. There was so much snow and she went in her car and gave me her, um, she had an extra ice scraper. And so I still have her ice scraper that she gave me right before I left out. She sat there and, and dug my car out for me as I was trying to get out of town. And that was, it's just that reminder, you know, you don't know when the last time you're going to see somebody and you don't know, I mean, as the coach, usually you're the older person. So you don't know when the last time they're going to see you is. And what is your, what's the last thing you said to your athletes when you left? Did you tell them they don't want it, that they're not working hard, that they're lazy? Is that the last thing you said to your athlete when you left? Is that what you, is that the lasting memory? Cause you have to live with that. You know, and that was really powerful for me. And, and I was already doing it, but it, it drove it home. Um, and then in, in 2014, this is actually right after I met John, I had shoulder surgery. So as a lacrosse player, I got a labrum tear, which is pretty common for a um, overhand throwing injury. And um, I didn't feel well. So a couple of days later, I, I went back into the hospital and they told me that I had a blood clot in my lungs, which is pulmonary embolism. And uh, one in four 
who get a pulmonary embolism, the first symptom, if you can call it that, is actually sudden death. So uh, it's pretty scary. And it's, it's called the silent killer because you don't know. You don't know you have a blood clot. You just, you're talking, you're walking, you're whatever, and it just takes you out right there. It, it's really terrifying. It's, it's one of the scarier things to have um, and to be, have, be at risk for. And I remember being really upset because I went in as an athletic person who snowboards and skis and mountain bikes and plays lacrosse still. And, you know, I got my shoulder fixed to do more activities because it was starting to hold me back. And they said, well, you have to be on blood thinners for life. So no more contact sports. In fact, if you even bump your head on a cabinet, you have to go to the hospital and get a CT scan. I've had a lot of CT scans. <laughs> I do have a brain. I, I know because I've seen it a lot of times. You have to go get CT scans to make sure you don't have a brain bleed or, you know, because you're on these blood thinners. And they said you can't coach anymore because if you get hit with a lacrosse ball in the head, same risk. And so I'm like devastated. I thought I was going to do more. And now I'm having everything taken away from me. And so instead of seeing that I was the three out of four that survive or, um, you know, I, all I saw was this one in four risk and this, you know, this fear. And I just, it, my perspective was warped at that point. And I just remember going home from the hospital and I was really scared to go home because in the hospital, you're hooked up to all these machines and they say, you know, if anything's going on, like you don't, maybe don't know, but the nurses do and they run down the hall and they save you and you're good to go. Right. So you go home, you're not hooked up to anything. What, what if something happens? So I was really scared the first night I didn't want to go to sleep. So I'm sitting there, I'm holding my eyes open. I like the blinds were still open. I'm like, I'm staying awake. I can do this. Of course, fell asleep eventually. And in the morning, the sun came through the blinds, hits me in the eyes, wakes me up. And typically when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Do not like to get up. And my first thought was, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I made it like, this isn't going to take me out. And I completely shifted my perspective to this is my plus one. I, I've got another day. And I have lived every day since then as this has been a day that I maybe wasn't supposed to have and I better do something with this. Uh, and that's been really life-changing for me is I can't waste this because why do I deserve this? Why do I deserve to have this next day? And because of that perspective shift, I really, I had hope and I started studying things and I started getting really healthy and working out all the time and watching what I ate and, and eating foods that would help me with, so I wouldn't need the blood thinners anymore. And, you know, I just, I got off the blood thinners. I got back my activity. I just got back from Montana. I went snowboarding. Um, you know, I got my life back and that was really powerful. So all of that has been a huge shift for me. And, um, and that in, empowered me to say, I'm going to go be a speaker. I'm going to go help teams. And I'm not going to do it one day. I'm going to do it now because I don't know if I have tomorrow. And I had to stop thinking. I had to stop saving for the future all the time. And I had to start spending. I had to start. I want to get to the end of my life and be spent. You know, I don't want to keep anything in the tank. And as an athlete, when we save, um, you know, as a coach, you don't tell people that, you know, your sprint's going to be this long and they don't know, then they save and they save and they save. And so you have to learn how to spend and have faith um, that it's going to be enough. And that was a big, that was a big shift for me. Yeah, this is so wonderful. Your story is really, really the epitome of what we at Sport for Life is about, you know, and, and the impact and we're trying to help and make. And I know we've gone a little longer than I wanted to, but 
it's just so much we could I could talk for another hour. Um, but as we start to wrap up, tell us put the hat on as a mom and uh, and how that's been. I know you got to coach your own children um, and then really just what's next for you. I mean, we want to know what's next. What's the next chapter in your book? Yeah, you know what? I have always told people I'm a terrible sports parent because I'm so used to running things that it's hard for me to like sit back. Um, and, and that was a bit of a transformation for me as well. I did learn as a coach, when you coach your own kids, you have to take the coach hat off at the same time that the rest of the kids go home. It's not fair to get in the car and still be the coach, to sit at the dining room table and to still be the coach because nobody else is having to endure that, hopefully. Well, they probably are from their parents anyway, but, but we don't want them to. Like, I wanna be mom. I don't wanna be coach when I'm not on that field. And so that was a priority for me. Unless they asked, if they asked for help, I was always up for it. Oh, you want me to, you know, go play in the backyard? Great. But if you're not asking for advice, then it's not, it's not my place to coach you when we're not at practice. So that was important. Um, and I will tell you that my daughter is a senior right now and I'm watching her play. Now my boys have already finished. So I already had my tears over watching them play and, and be done. I know this is my last one that's playing. She's going to go, go play in college, but, um, I'm watching other parents and they're like, I can't believe we didn't win. I can't, they're getting upset at the refs. And I'm just, I, I just love it. I just, I don't care. I don't care what the score is. Um, I'm not coaching. It's not, so this is the first year that I'm not coaching. And it's like, I'm so relaxed. It's great. Sometimes I put headphones in so I can't hear any of the parents around me. And I just am absorbing the love of watching her play and and when she messes up, I've, I've learned to completely separate myself. And I actually, I mean, I'll find myself laughing like, oh my gosh, look, you know, look what she just did. I know she's going to be talking about that later. And, um, and just feeling that incredible excitement of watching her love what she does. And it's, uh, it's a different experience. I've never been so relaxed watching sports in my life. And it took me until my last kid on her senior year to figure it out, which is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I, I don't really know exactly what's next for me. I know I'm going to keep writing. I know that my, my mission is, is never going to be done. There's never going to be a point where all teams have gotten it figured out. And, you know, I think that that impact that I made um, at the beginning of my coaching is going to haunt me for, for a really long time. And I just, I want to empower every athlete and anybody who's on a team and any human being who feels like they're not worthy, like they can't live up to something, like can't be the person that they want to be, whatever it is. I want to be that person that stands there and says, you can, and I have some tools and, and I believe in you because so many people don't have that in their life and they don't, we, nobody has enough of it. Even if you have it, nobody has enough of it. Um, and how to help people rewire their self-talk so that they can do it for themselves. And if I have these tools, why, you know, how could I ever stop giving them out when there's, there's so much need out there? Um, and so many kids who, like me, said, I'm not an athlete, and I was wrong. And I, I just, um, that's definitely a mission that I'm going to continue. So whether it's speaking and working with teams, writing, um, and, and who knows what else is out there, but that's, um, that's all on my, on my plate that and, and continuing to grow as a person and, and being healthy and, um, and growing in that way too. Well, Kate, you are an incredible human being. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing your story with us. Before we close this out, where can our listeners follow you and keep up with your journey? 
Yeah, so you can find me on uh, my website is uh, just katelavelle.com and um, you can um, through through a lot of John stuff. So if you go to johngordon.com, you'll find our power positive leadership workshops, um, power of positive team workshops. And then if you check out sticktogetherbook.com, you're going to be able to either get on the launch team or um, get, we're going to have action plans and all of that good stuff too, as well as um, you can have me come out and speak or work with your team on that too. Awesome. That's awesome. We're going to also put some links um, on our page for people that can get to those as well. So I just, I want to thank Megan. How awesome it is just that we, we're so privileged to get to do this. We love sports to get to meet people like you, Kate. You're so inspiring. I mean, um, I, I always say coaches impact more people in one year than most people do in a lifetime. And I can't imagine how many people you impacted. Um, you've definitely impacted us today. And we're so, we're so privileged and honored to have had you today. Thank you so much. I love what you guys are doing and um, keep it up. This is, this is such a gift for a lot of people. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you so All much. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you guys. Sorry. I probably uh, flew you way over all your time, but <laughs> not at all. It was our